Hello, everybody. Welcome back. For this episode, we are pleased to introduce Catherine Grimier Hamill, CEO of Destination Mekong, sustainable tourism development and marketing consultant and impact entrepreneur. She is passionate about producing innovative ideas and transforming them into positive solutions and experiences. As you know, this season we're defining sustainable tourism and its different iterations. Today, we are going to be speaking with Catherine about destination stewardship, what it means, how it shows up in her work, and the future of destination stewardship. So welcome, Catherine. Before we begin with our questions, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about you, where you're from, and your background? Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. And uh, thank you, uh, Kelly, for inviting me to your podcast. I'm uh, very proud and honored. And uh, well, to talk about me uh, very quickly, uh, you can hear it. I'm French. <laughs> Uh, I was born, raised, educated um, in France. Uh, however, uh, half of my roots are from Vietnam, from uh, my great-grandmothers. And uh, I've been living in uh, Korea for 17 years before relocating uh, to Cambodia last year. And uh, as you said, I'm a consultant in uh, sustainable tourism development and marketing for um, I would, say, I would like to say forever, but no, for uh, over 15 years. Uh, and I would say I dedicated my uh, career to uh, international development, uh, including uh, 15 years uh, in the tourism and the hospitality uh, sector. I'm uh, basically approaching tourism as a tool for uh, sustainable development. That's excellent. Thank you for that introduction. So just out of curiosity and kind of positioning, where are you located now, Catherine? Where do you live now? Uh, I'm living in Cambodia, Phnom Penh, and um, uh, funnily, funnily enough, you know, uh, first part of my career was uh, mostly in Latin America and Africa, and in spite of uh, my Asian origins, you know, I never was so attracted uh, um, in working in uh, Asia, but then uh, life uh, led me to South Korea which was the transition, I guess, uh, to uh, relocating to Southeast Asia. And now I think this part of my life is, uh, will be uh, dedicated to the Mekong region and uh, especially Cambodia. So yes, uh, you said I was uh, you know, CEO of Destination Mekong and uh, Destination Mekong is actually a destination management organization and we are covering uh, the six countries uh, involved in uh, Greater Mekong uh, subregion, uh, namely China, uh, with uh, Yunnan and uh, Guangxi, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Vietnam, and Thailand. Excellent. So it's an extensive region. And the reason I was asking in terms of your location and positioning, as you know, and Jacqueline and I have talked um, several several different episodes this season about how destination stewardship and also um, about sustainable tourism looks like in different regions. So I think having the context of six different countries is really valuable when we're talking about destination stewardship and and helping the listeners understand what that looks like in these different destinations. So can you tell us a little bit more about the different organizations that you're involved with? So you mentioned that Destination Mekong is a destination... um, I believe you said, was it a marketing organization or management organization? Because I know that term has changed. So if you could tell us... Uh, yeah. Well, it's um, we have different ways of um, uh, identifying this nation Mekong because, you no, know, uh, as you said, the, the challenge is uh, to cover uh, six uh, different countries. So it's more about cooperation, collaboration, and we could uh, define this as a regional tourism board, uh, except that we are uh, definitely. Um, independent and uh, hosted um, a private uh, entity uh, while you know many uh, tourism boards are actually uh, public and I would say the most correct um, qualification would be destination management organization or before it was called destination marketing organization but uh, it's more like management so we are dealing with the, the branding of uh, the destination. We are dealing also with, uh, you know, marketing, exposure of the private sector, coordination of the, the private sector. Uh, and we are definitely special because we are promoting the Mekong region as a sustainable tourism destination. So that's uh, what 
makes us special. And I would say, in some ways, uh, almost all destination management organizations should be uh, promoting uh, the, the, their destinations as a sustainable tourism destination. I think it's not an option, should be uh, really part of their DNA. So at least for us, it's part of our DNA. Just kind of a follow-up question to that, and again, out of curiosity for background and context. So, Catherine, what led to your initial interest in sustainable tourism? I know that you'd mentioned, you know, you have a, a quite a varied background, and you know, certainly lived in different regions, but what, what drew you to this field? Well, first, because, you know, I was uh, always passionate about traveling, and that's the first, uh, I would say, uh, reason. But uh, the second reason is that uh, part, the first part of my uh, career was dedicated to international development in uh, the field of environment. So mostly uh, water, sanitation, waste management. And uh, I was traveling a lot. And every time I was traveling, I was shocked by, you know, uh, the fact that uh, the local communities and uh, Basically, I was more into local communities, but of course, definitely environment because it was my uh, part of my profession. Uh, how you know, tourism was depending on these uh, natural and uh, cultural uh, assets and human assets, but at the same time, tourism was uh, uh, killing those assets. And I was fascinated by uh, how you know many uh, developing countries were depending on tourism for their development, but at the same time. Uh, tourists, uh, and not only tourists, no, it was also uh, the locals, uh, uh, we have to say, we have to be uh, uh, honest and transparent, uh, that didn't care about, you know, the environment, and so there was, you know, some kind of, uh, there was an excitement about traveling, but at the same time, a lot of frustration and uh, a lot of concerns that uh, at this pace, um, you know, very very quickly, uh, the the destinations would disappear. But actually, I was more focusing on uh, the places rather than the destinations. So, so uh, I was laid off by my company after uh, almost uh, uh, ten years of working with that mm. company. It was a big group uh, because they were no longer interested in uh, developing countries. And that even, you know, motivated me more, you know, uh, to see how I could contribute and how I could combine, you know, my passion for travel and tourism uh, with, you know, those uh, development um, uh, issues. And uh, at that time, you know, there was uh, the beginning of uh, Millennium Development Goals and then after uh, the Sustainable Development Goals, but that's another story. But uh, I was really into uh, you know, promoting harmony, mutual understanding, peace, uh, social justice uh, through travel and tourism. That was a passion. And also, at the same time, I was concerned about how the local communities could get access to uh, very basic services like uh, water services, drinking water, uh, sanitation, because uh, at that time, you know, of course, rich countries uh, were visiting poor countries, but what was the contribution? So I had this idea, a very strong uh, commitment to uh, yeah, social justice, mostly. Uh, after uh, my first experience, I decided to study for one year uh, sustainable tourism in France. Then after, I was led to uh, work, uh, to live in uh, Korea, and uh, I was lucky enough you know, to work for a step foundation, which means sustainable tourism for eliminating poverty foundation that was established the same year I relocated to Korea uh, under the initiative of the step uh, uh, step initiative of the World Tourism Organization. Thank you for sharing that, Catherine. And again, I think your vast background and the different destinations and areas and organizations you've worked with really help will help to us understand really what destination stewardship looks like globally. Um, Jacqueline had been telling me that you're also, in addition to STEP and the other organizations like Destination Mekong, Jacqueline had mentioned that you're also involved with organizations such as Millennium Destinations, and I believe it's Heroist. Um, so I'm just curious about what your roles are with those, those organizations, what they do, and, and potentially how they kind of intersect. Because from the sound of it, it looks like they're all kind of involved with sustainable tourism. So I'm just curious to hear about your involvement with them 
Definitely. So when I was uh, working for the STEP Foundation, uh, basically the STEP Foundation was uh, providing grants to support um, sustainable tourism development projects uh, across the world, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, but also in Southeast Asia um, and, well, uh, Latin America, Latin and Central America. And I was frustrated because uh, first, after, you know, the, the fund is used, uh, uh, there was no continuation of the project and also there was no exposure of the project. So it was all about, you know, monitoring and marketing. And so that's why, you know, I was saying that it's not a tourism destination because there, there is no tourist first. Nobody is aware. So the, a lot of money was uh, spent. And uh, at the end of the day, there was no connection between the travelers and uh, uh, the destination that were more, mostly like places. So the idea started with a blog. I started a blog, you know, to promote all those uh, projects, to give them more exposure, and also to, to give more exposure to uh, many new initiatives in the, the field of sustainable tourism. And the more, you know, I was doing research, the more I wanted to share uh, my insight and also to uh, uh, just to... to yeah, it was uh, awareness raising, education, advocacy. So, but then after I thought it was not enough. I really wanted to, to go more on the business side. So first I became an independent consultant uh, in 2014. And then in 2016, I started Millennium Destination. And Millennium Destination was uh, basically a, a consulting and training uh, company. Um, providing services, you know, to help uh, destinations and uh, tourism businesses, and, um, you know, to have more exposure. And I wanted to reward, uh, you know, their good, uh, their involvement, their commitment, and their good practices. People tend to speak about best practices, but I think they are not the best. Uh, we can do better. Uh, but, yeah, that was the idea also to uh, help them, um, I have to say, most of the time, many times, it was pro bono because uh, sometimes, you know, the small and medium-sized companies, they cannot afford. Uh, they cannot afford to be certified. They cannot afford, you know, to pay for consulting services. So in many ways, yeah, I thought that I had to do something, you know, and uh, it was more like I said, the, the Robin Hood approach, uh, rich people, who can afford to pay me, <laughs> I was uh, charging them. And, you know, the, the those who can't afford, you know, I was uh, supporting them as much as I can. And then uh, COVID came. Uh, so when you work uh, in the field uh, of training, I was also, you know, GSTC uh, trainer, um, Global Sustainable Tourism Council uh, trainer. I'm still. Uh, so when you work in training, consulting, travel, <laughs> Uh, hospitality, uh, even planning, uh, you have all wrong. No, you don't have all wrong. You have a lot of time, <laughs> free time. And, you know, I was kind of, um, again, frustrated. I wanted to do something even uh, when I was in a quarantine or lockdown. And um, before, you know, uh, COVID, I was more and more involved in community-based tourism. Uh, I gave a lecture on the community-based tourism for uh, Southeast Asian um, government officials. It was an ODA project, the Official Development Assistance Project um, uh, from Korea. And I just realized that there was a lot of issues, uh, again, related to community-based tourism. Why it failed and what could be the lessons we could uh, learn from uh, all those projects. And basically it was lack of monitoring, lack of marketing, lack of skills, lack of capacity building, lack of uh, exposure, um, like a lot of things that at the same time new technologies could solve. You know, mm -hmm. when I was working uh, for the STEP Foundation from uh, basically 2005 to uh, 2008 uh, to 2014, let's say right after 2008 to 2014, um, I just realized, you know, that uh, there was no monitoring of the results, no baseline data. Why? Because it uh, it costs a lot of money to reach those local communities uh, because they were remote and it was uh, very difficult to communicate with them. 
So a few years later, a decade later, I just found out that it was much easier through the new technology. So that's why I decided to start this uh, platform, Keros, which looks a lot like uh, Ecomedic. Uh, and I would say it's not about competition. You know, we need to have many platforms because, yes, if we want to touch those people, promote uh, those uh, experiences that are eco-friendly, sustainability committed, committed to a positive impact on the uh, local communities and the environment, we cannot, we cannot have the same model of, um, as the big platforms like Booking.com or TripAdvisor. Why? Because if we start to have this industrial approach, then you lose the quality, you lose the value, and at the end of the day, uh, you lose your purpose. So the, the main purpose of Herosta, uh, when I created this in 2019, was really to give exposure to those small micro uh, business uh, operators uh, who cannot afford you know, to pay uh, commissions to uh, big platforms, who cannot afford to pay consulting services or marketing. Again, same story. And I wanted to give them, let's say, a gift. I'm not sure it's a gift, but uh, for, from my side, it was a gift I wanted to give them during COVID because at that time, more than ever, uh, first, many of them uh, were struggling to survive. So it was out of question, you know, to monetize uh, my services. Um, I had a lot of time. And uh, at the same time, I trained myself, you know, to use uh, WordPress to create a platform. So in some way, I should thank them. And so they gave me uh, uh, skills also. Uh, I also uh, gained some skills uh, in SEO and uh, in a lot of um, areas that I didn't want to touch, but I was led to touch <laughs> because, um, uh, yeah, that was the situation. So Hirostan, you know, was created as a Korean startup and a millennium destination, um, I would say, uh, almost a social enterprise. Let's say it was just a small enterprise. And uh, when I left Korea, I had to close the companies uh, because it didn't make sense you know, to keep the companies in Korea. And now they are French associations. Uh, so you would say, why? <laughs> I say, why? Because I'm French and it makes it easier uh, to start uh, an association uh, or to register an association. And I didn't want you know, to uh, almost kill uh, those initiatives because I was moving to Cambodia. So right now, uh, they are legally registered in France. Uh, the platform still exists. I would say that Millennium Destination is a little uh, sleeping because uh, I need to uh, focus my efforts on uh, Destination Mekong. Uh, but uh, definitely, uh, I'm the CEO of Destination Mekong, but I'm also uh, uh, sustainable tourism consultants. I have also have consulting assignment um, aside or as part of uh, Destination Mekong. Um, so right now it's more about um, using Heroes as a solution, uh, almost as a um, business case to show what we can do. So that's why uh, I was very happy to meet, uh, to talk with Jacqueline uh, and to see that um, I was not alone. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, COVID created uh, loneliness and uh, a lot of uh, sense of, uh, you know, isolation uh, because that's the point of being uh, in quarantine. Now we are opening again and we see that uh, in spite of being uh, isolated and in some way uh, restricted or uh, even frustrated again, uh, so many similar uh, initiatives uh, were born out of COVID. Um, they were actually, you know, already um, the brainchild of so many great people before COVID. But COVID gave us even more, you know, uh, this uh, willingness to make things happen. And uh, I'm so happy about that. And now I can feel that uh, travel is resuming probably not as uh, uh, as big as before, which is not a bad thing. Uh, but now all those people that have been supported through these platforms and initiatives, uh, I want to think that they feel 
uh, more confident uh, and maybe more resilient because they were supported uh, at you know individual uh, level sometimes, but uh, they were not alone. You know, they were not uh, left behind, and uh, that's the beauty of uh, all those small initiatives. I'm not saying you know that heroes will save the world. Uh, maybe I can have this ambition, uh, but uh, in another life. But uh, all the people I met through heroes, or even through this nation, Mekong, are fantastic people. And uh, I'm so happy that you know this part of my life now. Uh, I can uh, have my feet on the ground. I can really uh, visit now all those uh, eco-friendly experiences. I can experience those ecologies and everything, and I'm so uh, thrilled about that. Sorry for the longer <laughs> reply. It's an excellent reply, and I just you mentioned so many things that I want to just highlight for our listeners that I think are really important when thinking about destination stewardship. You had mentioned, you know, thinking about like the baseline data and kind of not having uh, a substantial, you know, uh, effort in place to monitor you know, visitor use and that kind of thing and how important that can be on a destination on so many levels, not only to track kind of the social impacts of tourism, but kind of economics and environmental. I just wanted to highlight that because that's come up in several other, other episodes. And I think that we're defining destination stewardship. And I, that's one thing Jacqueline's going to speak with you about next when we're thinking about that, the idea of uh, monitoring and understanding kind of the impact that it can have and the, the necessity of having that in place um, over time and having that baseline is really important. And I just, again, I think that thinking about the idea of you can't really manage what you can't monitor. And so if if you can't establish that baseline, it's going to be really hard to understand the influences, positive and negative, that tourism can have on a destination. So Jacqueline, I'll turn it over to you because I know you had questions about destination stewardship. Absolutely. But before I get into that, I just wanted to go back to your point, um, Catherine, when you mentioned that our platforms look very similar, um, but it's not about competition. It's more about community and supporting these small and local businesses. And I just wanted to say that completely echo what you're saying. Um, and that's why I felt that we connected so hard. We um, have been working towards similar goals um, and missions, and that's really just to utilize tourism as a force for good. Um, and we have very similar, like you started as a blog uh, that I, I did as well. Um, and then also Southeast Asia, since I spent five years there, holds a very special place in my heart. So love the work that you're doing. Um, and now that Thank you mentioned boy. COVID as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now that you, and you mentioned COVID. So now that we are kind of opening up again, especially in a region like Southeast Asia, um, it got hit so hard by the pandemic um, when it depends so much on tourism. Uh, so a lot of countries and destinations are going to need to start to implement uh, destination stewardship. But this season, we're all about kind of defining that. So let's backtrack a little bit. And I just wanted to get your perspective um, on how you defined destination stewardship um, and what would that look like to different stakeholders, such as tourists, residents, business owners, and how are they all involved? Yeah, thank you for your question. So first I would say, you know, we shouldn't approach uh, destination with a blurred vision. You know, sometimes we tend to have, you know, this macro, uh, uh, macro uh, approach of a destination, uh, thinking that everybody's thinking the same, uh, the, the, does have the, the same uh, needs and expectations. Uh, I think um, it should be more acute, and uh, this is how the new technologies uh, definitely can help. I would say they are, for me, tools. They are not uh, the end of the world. You know, um, uh, around me, many people talk about uh, chat GPT as if, uh, you know, uh, you can write PhD thesis with a chat uh, GPT and uh, save the world. I don't think so. You know, at some point, um, we need to be smarter than uh, smart technologies, and they are here to serve us, not the contrary. So to answer the question, I would say, uh, for me, destination stewardship is all about uh, engagement and coordination. And uh, we need to be able to think, uh, you know, to, 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 yeah, to show empathy, to demonstrate empathy, and to be able to understand what's going on in uh, people's brains and see uh, how we can uh, combine, you know, 
and uh, coordinate all those needs and expectations that sometimes are contradictory and make sure that the destination is a destination, meaning uh, is able to welcome travelers and visitors and to satisfy them, but it's uh, most important to satisfy uh, those people uh, living in the destination. So when I, uh, when, when I said uh, before that destinations are not only destinations, you know, they are living places. Uh, uh, they are a place where people work, uh, a place where, you know, uh, family uh, grow. And um, so we cannot only define uh, those places as a destination, meaning that uh, they should, uh, you know, welcome tourists. I mean, when you have a restaurant, the restaurant is not only for uh, travelers, it's also for the locals. It's, uh, um, it's a, a market same, an attraction is the same. So it's all about also, you know, uh, the locals um, are taking ownership of the, the place where they live and uh, being proud. Um, I think there is this idea of uh, identity and uh, also pride of living in some place and respect, of course. I know everybody's talking about respect, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we tend to, to find responsible, uh, when we talk about responsible tourism, it's not only about the travelers, it's also about the, the hosts and uh, the local communities, uh, how they are responsible for their destination, their place. Uh, and uh, when we talk about stewardship, uh, which is, uh, took me uh, you know, a while to understand what is uh, stewardship, because I'm French, uh, and sometimes my uh, English vocabulary is limited, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's all about taking care of uh, uh, the place. Taking care of the place as if you have, uh, you know, we like uh, the idea of uh, a garden in France, you know. Uh, the philosophy is that uh, you have to grow your garden, and it's not only your garden, you know, it's your life. So for me, uh, you have to grow, uh, you have to take care, nurture uh, your place, uh, to make sure that the place is not dying. Uh, when you're over using a land, the land is dying, so you are taking all the nutrients. Nutrient. So the, the idea of stewardship for this nation, that's it. It's um, it's almost the same approach as uh, permaculture. You know, it's holistic, it's ecosystem, it's, uh, and when you have outside uh, input, you need to be sure that it's, uh, the harmony is kept. So I would say, yeah, probably stewardship uh, is about harmony, keeping the harmony, keeping the balance, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, keeping the uh, satisfaction for all. Because you know, this is what also destination uh, Mekong is doing is uh, promoting the Mekong region as a sustainable and inclusive destination. We we are creating a, a value, impact, and opportunities for all, not only for uh, uh, the locals or not only for the visitors. Um, so it's uh, possible now because uh, we can uh, we are smarter probably than before. Sometimes we are less smarter than before because there are some common sense that we have uh, forgotten. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, it's also about common sense. You know, you don't do things uh, that you are sure will be uh, damaging uh, uh, the planet and the people. But we had uh, also this uh, discussion uh, before. Uh, if you think about that, you know, many travel activities are actually addictive because uh, can be, I don't know, uh, casino, uh, shopping, uh, things, you know, that you are doing almost uh, uh, without any conscience. Um, and my point is that uh, the best cure for uh, addiction is connection. And when you think about this uh, role of travel, of connecting people, uh, this is also what we are doing for uh, Destination Mekong, uh, in the, the field of uh, Destination Stewardship. We are connected, uh, connecting sorry, the public and the private sector, the private stakeholders um, between themselves. We are connecting uh, the travelers with uh, local communities. So this connection um, helps, you know, probably to have a more sustainable approach 
um, an approach that is more focusing on impact rather than just, you know, doing things, uh, you know, business as usual. And as we discussed before, you know, the hospitality industry is very conservative. People don't want to change, you know. Uh, you know, it's always like this. The, uh, the way we measure uh, the success of uh, tourism and hospitality hasn't changed. It's all about uh, quantities, KPIs. Uh, I'm not saying that KPIs are useless. They are useful. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we need to think outside the box um, to measure the success and the performance of uh, especially a sustainable tourism destination. It's not about volumes. It's not about quantities. Uh, it's also about quality. It's about value. It's about uh, years, um, how long people stay, and uh, their interaction with the locals. Uh, how do you measure that? You know, how do you measure this uh, uh, the happiness uh, of people that you are creating? And uh, the you know the good, the positive energy you are receiving. How do you measure that? And I think we should be uh, again smarter than that and think about how we can measure that. Absolutely, thank you. And that was a beautiful analogy when you compared uh, destination stewardship with gardening and creating a beautiful ecosystem. An ecosystem, that word actually popped up in my mind as you were explaining everything, um, because it really is about building like a fluid community from both the community that the destination um, or the destination that the community is within, um, as well as the visitors that are coming to a certain place. Um, so you did mention um, that it takes a lot of coming to the table, um, but for someone that might be looking to just like now get involved um, or the starting to begin their process into this destination stewardship and creating a more sustainable ecosystem or, or community, um, can you give us a few specific examples of effective destination stewardship that you've seen in practice? Uh, you can use either some experience that you've worked in or through Destination Mekong or on your own consulting, um, but just curious like what that actually looks like um, in practice. Uh, well, I would say personally, mm -hmm. I don't have many good examples. I know that uh, when you uh, make a research uh, based, uh, you know, destination management. And uh, we, we have names like uh, Copenhagen or uh, uh, other destinations. But sometimes, uh, maybe that's my approach, you know. I think that no destination is sustainable at first because uh, it's a little um, arrogant. Uh, or let's say, let's talk about greenwashing, you know, when people say, I'm a green destination, I'm a sustainable destination, because uh, the travel uh, and tourism is um, involves uh, a lot of sectors, like transportation and um, accommodation. And uh, so you, and many different, uh, very small, you know, uh, micro uh, stakeholders that we cannot uh, sometimes identified properly. It's all about, you know, statistics and everything and uh, even, you know, the tourism receipts and expenses. So I would say to define good practices, I would say, uh, or good stewardship, yes. It's uh, about practices because sustainability uh, or even destination management or stewardship um, is uh, really into uh, action, you know, even tourism. We talk about tourism activities that cannot be stored like uh, a product. Uh, they are happening. And uh, the moment they happen, they involve so many different stakeholders. Uh, and basically, uh, the tourism providers and the tourism uh, demand, the travelers. So uh, it's all about, again, you know, practices, pra good practices from the providers and good practices from uh, the travelers. It's about uh, education. It's about uh, awareness. And um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, uh, uh, all the reports I read uh, 
uh, even in one week, which is about 1,000 pages of report that nobody is reading, uh, who can apply, you know, those best practices? Sometimes it's so complicated and so, uh, um, you know, out of this normal world. And again, for the travelers, uh, uh, probably they shouldn't be too much uh, held responsible. Why? Because when you travel, you don't want to be responsible. You want, uh, you know, uh, okay, that's maybe not a good image, but sometimes when your parents uh, were taking you uh, on the vacation, uh, they didn't tell you all the times, oh, you need to save water, you need to save, uh, you know, the trees and the environment. Uh, they are doing this for you. Um, without talking about the environment or anything, uh, they have this responsibility of, you know, uh, educating you, but at the same time showing you how it works. So for me, I would say, again, there are no best practices. I know that, for example, uh, there are a lot of awards um, for uh, sustainable destinations or sustainable accommodations or sustainable um, um, restaurants or whatever experiences. Uh, for me, it's good because in some way you have those criteria of what is a good uh, or green accommodation or sustainable accommodation, or what are the good practices. But um, again, it's about common sense. You know? It's about, uh, now I'm surprised that sustainable development is not taught even you know, at primary schools, because this is uh, something that should be part of uh, not even um, knowledge, you know, it's uh, almost skills. Uh, because if you really want to be part of uh, uh, tomorrow's world or even today's world, you need to have the skills um, to uh, identify uh, and to practice um, sustainability. So I'm not sure I replied to your question, uh, but this is at least what we try to do at uh, the level of uh, the Mekong region. We want to promote uh, those good practices. We want, uh, you know, the the motto of uh, uh, Destination Mekong uh, this year is uh, Mekong in motion and Mekong uh, emotion, because we believe mm. that uh, sustainability, not only sustainability, you know, everything should be put into practice. You know, it's good to have good intention uh, and declaration and statement. No, you have to deliver on your promises. Because branding is about promises. Uh, you need to show that we are doing something. So it's sustainability in action. And also it's about, uh, you know, when we say in motion and emotion is uh, action and connection, uh, as I said before. And again, uh, practice, practice, practice. This is uh, like golf. Again, another image. Uh, mm -hmm. You become a golf champion if you practice. And I can tell you, I'm a very bad golf player, <laughs> even if I practice <laughs> a lot. Uh, but uh, things need to be, you know, uh, internalized. I mean, uh, you are not doing a sustainability because uh, that will give you uh, a good image and uh, people will be happy. No, it's because it's good for you first. And, uh, and things that uh, at the beginning seem to be a little hard to practice uh, will become uh, automatic. Uh, we, nev we never know, you know, that many things that uh, we do uh, as human beings as a reflex that uh, maybe men did, or, and women didn't do as a reflex because, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, learning something. But the more you learn and practice, it becomes like uh, part of uh, your DNA, probably. No, recently, uh, uh, maybe you will cut it, but uh, recently I wanted to watch uh, again the movie uh, Lucy uh, with uh, you know Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I'm not sure you know that movie, but uh, I watched it recently, and it was about you know uh, the fact that we are not using uh, our full uh, brain capacity and uh, only 10%. And uh, so this Lucy. 
uh, played by Scarlett Johansson suddenly is uh, reaching the, the, the full potential. And in some way, it's uh, uh, opening, you know, new horizons and everything. But it's also scary. It's, uh, we are not prepared uh, to that anyhow. Uh, so what I mean is that uh, there is a big room for improvement uh, in uh, human life and uh, human practices. Uh, and um, at the same time, we have no choice because uh, I think we, we were just in a playground and uh, developed and uh, it was so, so much fun, uh, you know, uh, uh, to to consume, you know, to produce and consume and produce and consume. But uh, uh, the resources are limited and uh, I would say the interest is also limiting, limited. Uh, I mean, the interest of uh, over shopping and uh, over. <laughs> we could see that, you know, also during COVID at some point. Uh, well, personally, you know, I don't want uh, no judgment. Uh, uh, I don't like, you know, shopping, 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 because at the end of the day, uh, uh, it creates even more frustration. So, um, and I think you, you guessed it, uh, frustration is poison for me. And uh, I need to solve that in action. Uh, so this is probably what I would like to say uh, to answer your question, <laughs> because I didn't answer your question. Is uh, I would say it's uh, yeah, it's all about uh, practice and uh, doing what you are saying you are doing. Deliver on your promises. You absolutely did answer the question. I think that gave us a lot of insight. I, I absolutely agree that it when once you practice this, you know, thinking about environmental kind of economic sustainability, like buying and supporting local, and then how if, you know, the choices that you make at a destination level, whether from the tourist perspective or, you know, again, from the business perspective that you mentioned, once you practice that enough, it becomes a habit. So I, I completely agree. And I think that's excellent advice of how a destination can move closer to being more sustainable and on the flip side, empowering, you know, tourists to think that way too. So I, you definitely addressed it. So no worries there. So um, just out of curiosity, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your perspective is at, on how destination stewardship may evolve in the future. You know, what are, where do you see it going in the future? Well, I would say first, uh, this, I think that uh, they will evolve in a more, uh, I wouldn't say sustainable again, uh, in a more caring way, you know, rather than just being uh, not confident enough, you know, to think that they need to prove that they are better than the other, that they have more visitors, and, uh, but at the end of the day, they don't even know. Uh, who are the visitors, you know? I think it's important to, to understand uh, where they are coming from. Uh, are they families, are they students, business people? Of course, there are some statistics, but uh, sometimes we don't use those uh, statistics. Uh, we, uh, we don't use uh, percentages enough, you know, uh, to, to understand, you know, the proportion of people who do this and that. And sometimes it's a little, again, uh, we tend to say, okay, the travelers now, they want up the billion travel experiences, unique experiences. Uh, uh, they want to have a better impact on the local communities. Uh, uh, of course, they want everything. They want to be good, basically. Everybody wants to, uh, to be good. But at the end of the day, when you see people on the ground again, it's totally different. So there should be also, you know, surveys uh, during the experience and after the experience and much after the experience to, uh, to understand what people, uh, yeah, remember what is their memory of the destination, uh, what, is, what they like most and um, reviews again. People tend to focus too much uh, on reviews, but uh, when you are super happy, you don't say that. You are just happy. Or you talk to your family and uh, to your friends, oh, you had a great experience. And sometimes uh, there is the bragging effect. Uh, you tend to uh, tell people, oh, that was great. Well, you felt miserable all the time. Um, but when you are not happy, you tend to be super negative and insist on the, oh, that was horrible. You know, that country is horrible. People are horrible. And you can generalize, you know, and, uh, but people say, oh, I trust you. 
Uh, that's the power of influence. So I trust you. I will never visit that horrible country. End of, uh, end of the story. So again, we need to, to be a little more intelligent and um, a little more nuanced when uh, we hear, you know, the comment of so-called influencers. Uh, I really would like to listen more to positive influencers. Huh? And not even only positive, but uh, honest influencers uh, that are just, you know, sharing honest stories, because I think uh, the, the power of uh, storytelling is very important. So that's why, you know, we are also promoting uh, stories for Destination Mekong. So I would say Destination will be uh, a little more caring for their own uh, residents and local communities. And they will be, I hope, uh, more brave. Uh, when we talk about outside the billion track, I expect them to be a little more adventurous or uh, to think outside the box, you know, innovative. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> and uh, creative also, uh, because, yeah, uh, again, personally, I think I don't want to visit places where everybody is going, uh, and I'm not no longer uh, young, uh, but I feel young, and uh, so sometimes, you know, it's very comfortable to put people, oh, these are the Gen Z, these are millennials, these are, you know, the seniors. <laughs> Um, silver uh, economy. Uh, I don't know how, uh, where I am, but uh, nobody wants to be, you know, in a box. You know, we know for sure that uh, there are so much diversity. So this is also again to talk about this nation, Mekong. The Mekong region is unique and diverse, and uh, of course there are common traits because you can brand uh, the the Mekong. Uh, destination uh, as a, an attractive destination, a single destination, because uh, you have this uh, warm hospitality, uh, great food, uh, you have nature, culture. It's, um, yeah, it's the, the smile. Uh, I think, Jacqueline, you can relate to that. Huh? And, um, yeah, this sense of hospitality that uh, uh, could be an example for other destinations because it's not all about, uh, um, you know, shopping mall and everything. Huh? It's also, you know, making people happy. At the same time, I'd like to the destinations to be a little more um, picky <laughs> when they receive travelers. Uh, I mean, we should not, uh, you know, promote uh, always the same type of uh, travelers that we know for sure are not good for us. Uh, and I will not name any nationality or people. Uh, they will recognize themselves or no. <laughs> what I mean is that uh, we know that some travelers and visitors are definitely not good. But we close our eyes because, um, yeah. It's not us, you know, to uh, prohibit this kind of travelers, but uh, yes, it is. If you are really caring about your people, uh, children especially, or uh, vulnerable people, uh, you have to be a little more picky about the people you receive because you definitely know that some of them uh, are dangerous. And uh, so I like them to stop closing their eyes I like also the travel community, um, well, to identify those people and to alert uh, authorities because they are not. This is not their job, you know, to uh, to act as police, uh, policemen or women. But at the same time, um, I think that uh, yes, we need to to think about this approach as a family approach, and uh, this is the. Um, a word that is very important in the Mekong region or, or in the world, family. And uh, it's extended family, you know, I'm not talking about uh, blood family. But uh, if we are thinking of uh, uh, as a family, like uh, you receive family members, uh, those family members should care about you. They should care about, uh, this is the image, uh, image uh, I often share, when you invite 
friends or family members in your in your home, uh, you expect them not, you know, to eat all the food in the fridge and destroy your place and leave nothing. No, uh, usually, <laughs> um, and that's yeah. Uh, what I would like from the destination, you know, to to have this approach of, uh, hey, by the way, do I need those people? Do I really want to have those people at my place? Of course, uh, it's a human right, you know, and uh, it's a free circulation of people. But that's also, you know, I would say um, the role of branding, of attracting the people and marketing, attracting uh, the people who care and people you want to receive. Uh, and I think it's the basis of marketing, actually, uh, to, uh, to target those people who care and uh, yeah can uh, contribute to your development and um, sustainable development uh, ideally. Amazing. Um, when you said family, I loved that because I think that that's why travel is so important to me. It's uh, not only helped me develop a more personal relationship with myself, but it's also allowed me to connect with so many amazing people around the world and build a a connection in a community that feels like family. Um, so with the destinations, also something that I was thinking of when you were speaking is that just equally as it is that, like you had mentioned, how there needs to be respect from both sides, from both the destinations and the visitors, I think that a lot of education and awareness needs to be uh, created in this space, especially from the destination side. And some examples that I've seen um, while traveling in Southeast Asia actually has been uh, initiatives like printing posters on how travelers can be more respectful for the culture. Um, so I think little efforts like that can go a long way. Um, and it, it's interesting to see destinations take approaches like that. Um, last question that we have, and I know that you said you want to focus on more positive, um, but we're going to start off with a slightly <laughs> negative in line with our, um, <laughs> with our, in line with our podcast name. Uh, we just uh, always ask, what is not welcome to you in the world of sustainable travel? Um, because our podcast name is You're Not Welcome Here. So what is not welcome in the world of sustainable travel, but then going on to more of a positive spin, what do you want to welcome here um, within the sustainable travel space in, in the years to come? <laughs> uh, you mean as a travel professional or as a destination? Uh, you know, whatever so many... way you interpret it. <laughs> okay, uh, I think in general, uh, if I, well, if I um, uh, was inviting, uh, having a party, a uh, tourism party, I would not welcome people uh, full of arrogance and uh, full of themselves. Uh, people who are just about uh, me, myself, and I. You touch a very interesting point because, you know, traveling is very good as an individual uh, level, you know. Uh, I know that travel can really help a lot of people who have uh, uh, ex who are experiencing, you know, depression or even who wants to just to be happy, you know, to to um, to discover the world and uh, uh, achieve their life purpose and everything. Uh, that's not the point. But uh, those people, you know, who are treating other people. Uh, not as human being. I don't want to have them. Uh, I think at some point or so, um, well, you know, that's a very uh, in interesting question because if I really wanted to be honest, I would, uh, you know, have a full list of people, uh, uh, well, because we cannot be too, you know, harsh on an uh, ignorant people. We can educate ignorant people. But some people really are not welcome because you know that uh, their, their intention is using uh, people. Uh, and I'm not even talking about, uh, of course, animals. Uh, the animal cause is very uh, dear to me, environment. Or so, but uh, 
I have more, you know, uh, tolerance for a traveler who is throwing a bottle of plastic in the river than for a sex predator. Uh, I have no tolerance for them. Uh, and I don't even know why we tolerate this. Um, because, you know, we can see that, you know, it's not even, you know, uh, oh, Catherine, uh, you, your mind is twisted, uh, you see negative things everywhere. No, it's obvious. Well, I have this gut feeling as a woman, as a, as a, um, I was a child also. And when I see some situations, problem is, what can I do? Uh, do I jump at the guy and the guy will say, oh, he's, uh, she's my daughter and everything. So, I mean, we need to have professionals working on that, you know, an educated professional like uh, ECPAT, uh, CHITESAP. Uh, we need to educate people, you know, uh, because uh, we cannot also uh, do that work. And um, also, I have no tolerance about people who, uh, yeah, ruin children's lives. Um, I mean, as tourists, of course, uh, you know, everybody can have a good excuse and, uh, but it's not my problem. <laughs> this is their problem. And, um, for me, they are not welcome. You know, you don't use, uh, people as the uh, commodities and, um, you wouldn't do that at home. Why are you allowing you to do that, uh, in uh, other countries? So it's a matter of uh, human dignity. So those people who don't understand, you know, this basic uh, principle of uh, respecting the dignity of uh, even the rights, uh, basic rights of uh, human beings, children and animals, uh, they, for me, they are not welcome. Um, so I know that sometimes, you know, I tend to be a little too, uh, uh, yeah, tolerant on uh, plastic and uh, because, uh, well, this is also important, uh, but I think um, for me it's, uh, and it's not even, you know, because, uh, as I said, the planet will survive without us. And uh, even if we are destroying the planet, uh, we will be destroyed uh, before the planet is destroyed. The thing is that is uh, we have this life experience uh, and if we are not able, you know, to uh, to do something uh, meaningful out of that, um, in some way I believe in karma, uh, then the future life will be uh, miserable. <laughs> and um, of course everyone has a role to play, uh, but uh, at the end uh, we want to achieve something. And uh, we are not a beast, you know, anymore. Uh, we need to be a uh, human. So, yes, many people, as you <laughs> to answer your question, are not welcome. And, uh, wow, they can just stay home, you know? <laughs> well said. I completely agree. So that's very helpful, Catherine. I think in that answer, you also highlighted what is welcome. So on the flip side, you also highlighted some, some practices and types of people that are welcome. So uh, if, if our listeners wanted to connect with you, what is the best way to go about finding you? Is it best on LinkedIn? Or is there an email? Or is it through your Destination Mekong website? What's the best way to connect? I'm just uh, laughing because... Um... People tend to Google other people, so I think that the Very best is to Google Very me. True. Uh, <laughs> or to use, you know, uh, I mean, we need also to be aware that first, you know, not everybody has a computer, um, and uh, but those who have a computer and the internet connection uh, uh, can Google me, and uh, well, I think uh, I'd be happy, you know, to to meet good people like you by chance. And uh, the best way is uh, uh, LinkedIn, I would say. But um, even if, you know, real life encounters are, uh, are the best, and that's why, you know, travel is so uh, important. Uh, but uh, yeah, I also tend to believe that uh, uh, the universe, you know, is uh, connecting people naturally. So <laughs> 
the people will be naturally connected to me, uh, if not in this life, maybe in the future life. But <laughs> to talk about this life, yeah, I think the best way is uh, social media. So either LinkedIn or um, Facebook. Uh, That's and those people who are not uh, in those social media, well, let's uh, let's hope that you know universe will connect us. <laughs> All right. Well, well said. Thank you so much for your time today, Catherine, and the wonderful insights into destination stewardship. This is a really Jessica. exciting conversation. Mm -hmm. So, for more information and resources about today's episode with Catherine, please visit the You're Not Welcome Here podcast dot com. And despite the name of the podcast, remember that you are always welcome here. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank so much. you. <laughs> Bye.